would please stand as you're able for the reading of today's gospel. And I will be reading of a beautiful conversation between Jesus and the woman of Samaria as recorded in John's gospel. I'll be reading from the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 30 and 39 through 42. Hear now God's word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it wasn't Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and headed back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well? And with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I may never be thirsty or or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus says to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. 
And they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. And many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it is so good to be in Mobile. For many years, I came um, to run the Azalea Trail Run, and I hope um, to do it again sometime. Um, it's always been one of my favorite races, um, not only because the azaleas are in bloom and they line the course, but also because the course is lined with well-wishers, many of whom set up impromptu water tables all along the course. And so in addition to the regular water stations, these blessed encouragers offer water in unexpected places. And on a hot and humid course, a water stop is always a welcome, life-giving oasis. And so in today's scripture, I can understand Jesus' decision to stop in the middle of his long, hot journey, to stop at the well to get a drink of water. Or maybe, as we shall see, he really has something else in mind. And I think that today's story is just this amazing clash between the ordinary mundane and the extraordinary. Because today's story involves a woman who's just going about her daily routine. I mean, she says, you know, I was just going for water. And instead, she has this amazing encounter unexpectedly with Jesus at the well. And it catches her completely off guard. And everyone else that's involved as well. And we see that Jesus isn't much for maintaining the status quo or taking the conventional route. And in fact, John tells us that when Jesus decides to leave Judea to head back to Galilee, that um, he had to go through Samaria. Now, the shortest route from Judea to Galilee is to go through Samaria, but most Jews went around Samaria to avoid the Samaritans because to the Jewish people, the Samaritans were despised enemies. They were a despised race and culture, and there were religious and lifestyle tensions and hostilities that went back for ages. And so I'm sure to the consternation of his own disciples, Samaria was not 
the expected travel plan. But Jesus had work to do in Samaria. And I love how Fred Craddock puts it. He says that Jesus had to go through Samaria is not a statement of geographical necessity, but rather Jesus' obligation to pass through Samaria is a theological statement consistent with, for God so loved the world. And so tired and hot and thirsty from his journey, Jesus sits by the well, and a Samaritan woman, just going for water, comes to the well. And lo and behold, Jesus speaks to her, saying, give me a drink. And she is shocked by his unconventional behavior. And she says, whoa! And I know that most of the translations of the Bible don't have that word in there, but this is what she's thinking. And she's saying, you know, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria for a drink. I mean, first of all, Jews are not supposed to come through Samaria anyway, so I don't know what you're doing here to begin with. And then secondly, Samaritans don't talk to Jews. Jews would never talk to us, let alone to women. And they certainly don't drink from the same water jar. But as New Testament Scholar Susan Hyland says in her book, Imperfect Believers, instead of going into these weeds of controversy, Jesus takes her in an entirely different direction in this conversation. And I often liken it to how Jesus takes me sometimes when I go to him in this kind of mire and in a pity party of my own. And if I'll go with Jesus... He'll take me out of that pit sometimes. He'll, if I'll follow where he wants to go. And Jesus here offers the woman a completely different thing. He offers her a role reversal, in fact. If she chooses, instead of being the one who gives water, she could become the one who receives water. And he actually makes her a two-part offer. He says, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink. He says, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And as Highland says, living water here is actually a play on words because it can mean two different things. Living water can actually mean moving water as from a spring as opposed to contain water like you find in a well. Or it can mean metaphorically, life-giving water as given from God. And so Jesus says, know the gift of God, living water, and know the giver. And the woman responds, but you have no bucket, and the well is really deep. And now for, for many years, kind of the traditional interpretation has asserted that the woman completely misunderstands Jesus and that he's talking way over her head. But I'd like to offer you a different way to look at this today. And as Susan Hyland suggests, and I agree with her, I think that the woman understands exactly what Jesus is saying here and that he is speaking metaphorically 
Because even though the Jews and the Samaritans differ on many things, they do share the first five books of the Old Testament, and, which means that she knows the stories of God's gift of life-giving water as God offered to the people of Israel as they wandered in the dry wilderness. The, books, the, told, the stories told in the books of Exodus and Numbers, such as the water that God gave from a rock, And so what I hear the woman saying in this conversation is her going back to Jesus' two-part offer, seeking more information about the source of the gift, this living water. She says, where do you get that living water? And then seeking more information about the giver. In other words, she's saying, who are you, Jesus? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? who gave us this well with enough water that it has been able to, all the sons of Jacob and the flocks have drank from it. And notice that Jesus is hanging with her in this conversation, which is, by the way, the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Bible. And as Highland notes, Jesus answers her questions. And he makes it clear that the water that he offers is superior to any water that she's ever known. Because he says, those who drink of the water that he offers will never be thirsty. Now this is present tense, not something you have to wait for at the end of time. And his water gives eternal life. Now, it's unclear at that moment how much she truly understands of exactly what Jesus is offering her. As with any disciple that he's talking with at that time, as with any disciple of his today, you know, understanding exactly what Jesus offers. But what we do know is she understands enough about what he's offering. There's no, she wants it, and she asks for the gift. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And I say, go girl, she has asked for the gift. But remember, there were two parts to his offer. Know the gift of God and know the giver. And though she seems to be sensing that there's some connection between the gift and the giver, she's not quite there yet. But the conversation's not over. Jesus is still talking. And as in our own conversations, when Jesus is trying to take us out of the the weeds or maybe, for me, the mire of a self-pity, if Jesus is still talking and taking you somewhere, keep going with him. And he says, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And he answers, you're right in saying that. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so another alert, kind of the traditional interpretation of this over time, has been, and and I'll read as Highland, Susan Highland presents this, and I agree. She says, unfortunately, these verses for many years have been interpreted to reflect poorly on this woman's moral character to cast her as a sinner and and maybe sexually immoral 
And yet, as Susan says, Susan Highland says, nothing in the tone of these verses conveys that Jesus judges the woman and her history. In fact, she says, consider the possibility that the woman is caught in a situation of leveret marriage in which the last male of the family has refused to marry her. We hear stories of leveret marriage in the Old Testament quite frequently, and also allusions to leveret marriage in the New Testament. And so, as Highland says, in such a case, Jesus' words are merely a statement of fact versus an indictment against her. And it's important for modern readers and interpreters to, to put aside any judgments of her marital status or trying to figure out what it means in order for us to see and to understand the importance of the text and what John is trying to convey in this story. Because the truth of the matter is, as interesting as the woman's history might be, the real focus of these verses is on what Jesus is doing. And when we get wrapped around kind of the axle of the woman's past, then we miss out on what John is telling us in this gospel. And we miss out on the similarities of what John tells us throughout the gospel. I likened this morning, John's gospel is like a symphony where one note follows into the next. And we miss, for example, the similarities between how John tells us about Jesus first calling his disciples. And in John's gospel, it was Jesus' ability to see Nathaniel. Remember when Jesus first calls Nathaniel. It was his ability to see Nathaniel standing under a fig tree that leads Nathaniel to confess Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And so, too, in today's scripture, it's Jesus' ability to see this woman that she has had five husbands and her current status that leads the woman to confess Jesus' identity as a prophet. In other words, it's a sign. And in John's gospel, signs reveal who Jesus is and leads people to understand Jesus and to know who he is. And so knowing the woman's past isn't the issue any more than we should be concerned about what kind of tree Nathaniel was standing under. And the woman the well does not miss the sign. Because then she starts asking Jesus' prophet questions, and that's why she begins asking him about this proper place of worship, which was one of the key conflicts between the Jews and the Samaritans. Which mountain are we supposed to worship at? But again, Jesus doesn't go into those weeds of controversy. He takes her somewhere deeper. He doesn't want to talk about the location of worship He's going to talk about true worship. And he tells her, the hour is coming and is now here. Things are changing. He says, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For he says, you worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. He says, not only the hour coming, but is now here. And I always, when I read these verses, I, I, I feel what I, I call a divine V8 moment. Do you all remember those old V8 commercials where you have this wonderful uh, juice, this, this nourishing V8 tomato juice or something, and you've got it there, and it's the best thing ever. But before you remember that you have the real thing that you could drink that would nourish you, you've already reached for something that was a substitute, the, you know, the, the, the unhealthy you know, soda or whatever. And here, this woman at the well, she's got Jesus standing right there. And he's telling her salvation is from the Jews. She's got a Jewish man that showed up from nowhere. He's telling her everything that she ever knew, often her living water, talking about true worship. And the best definition I've ever heard for worship is to encounter God's presence. And we get this sense, you can almost sense her growing awareness of who Jesus is And isn't that just like Jesus, to give us time to become aware of his presence and who he is. And we find out he's been there all along. And so she senses that. And so as the the conversation progresses, she tests, I think, asking for an affirmation from Jesus. She says this, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus says, I am the one who is speaking to you. And it's upon hearing these words, I am, that's the divine name itself. And when she hears that, she leaves her water jar behind. She doesn't need that anymore because now she's got living water. And I imagine she just bolts off back to the town to tell the folks what's happened to her. I just love this woman. She's going to go back. She can't help it. It's like Jesus said, the living water will gush from you like a spring. And she goes back and, and her witness isn't perfect It's not like she goes back and recites the Nicene Creed or anything. But her story is so compelling. Come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And you can read the Greek this way. Could he be the Messiah? And they come to see for themselves. And many Samaritans believe in Jesus because of her testimony. That's the definition in John's gospel of a disciple. You come and see, and then you go and tell. He stays two more days, and many others come to believe based on their own encounter. And they say to her, we don't just believe now on account of what you say, but We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. And this is one of the most profound professions of faith in John's gospel. And for us today, as modern disciples, when we truly hear 
the woman at the well story. It's compelling for us too to see what happens when one woman who was just going for water, when she comes back and shares what she receives from Jesus at the well, she shares that with thirsty people. When she discovers that the giver is the gift, and for us today, his disciples, who have his gift of living water, his Holy Spirit, Jesus will lead us to thirsty people as well. And sometimes Jesus will lead us to our own Samarias, into those unfamiliar and uncomfortable places, because often there's work to be done there. Our witness is needed in those places where people think differently than we do, where they live different lifestyles and they might look different than we do. And so maybe Jesus is prompting you to share your story with someone who's thirsty. And it doesn't have to be grand or perfect, just authentic about that encounter you had when Jesus offered you water at the well. When Jesus comforted you, maybe through a friend, when you were sick or lonely, or how that stranger just showed up miraculously out of nowhere and helped your family at a time of crisis. Or how Jesus spoke in a quiet whisper to you when you were feeling unloved or stigmatized or rejected. And notice that the people in the woman's town, they wanted to meet Jesus not because of his theological knowledge, but because of his intimate knowledge of the woman. He told me everything I've ever done. Her story to the people was, he knew about me. He talked to me. I mattered to him. And that's when the people took off on their own to go and meet Jesus. And you could almost hear the resounding cry of hope. Maybe there is a Savior. And maybe... Maybe he'll know me too. And maybe I'll make a, maybe I'll matter to him. And you know today everybody has a story. But sadly, some people's story doesn't include Jesus because they don't know him yet. And I know from personal experience that trying to satisfy your thirsts with what the world has to offer will leave you parched and dry. And just going for the world's water day in and day out can just wear you out. You just maybe go to work, take care of the kids, pay the bills, handle the problems and the crisis in the best way you can, eat, sleep, rinse, repeat. Often wondering, is this really all there is? And sometimes you can see people in that cycle. And sometimes you can hear that resounding cry of despair. And people need to hear our stories. That there really is a Savior. And so maybe you're there today. Maybe you're dry from what the world has to offer. Or maybe you know someone. And maybe they're thinking, I don't know. 
the way I've lived my life, or maybe like all of us, maybe you or, or you know someone, they've done something they're not proud of, and they may be thinking, hey, I'm not who Jesus is looking for. But I say to the contrary, if you are thirsty, you are exactly who Jesus is looking for. And you can tell your friends as well, because he will go through Samaria or anywhere else to find you. And why would he do that? Because it is like Fred Craddock said, for God so loved the world, so much so that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And so you tell them, no matter who they are or how they've lived their life, if you're thirsty today, the woman of Samaria testifies that Jesus is always waiting for you at the well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.